Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And we are tweeted. We exist to the internet. All right. So um, this is failed state update. Um, I've been doing this podcast with JG. I don't know. How long have we been doing it, JG? A few months? Yeah, a few months now. But but we haven't had a chance to like get everybody on the line at the same time. So we decided let's do let's go live. Let's you know hopefully people will be chatting with us. And um, it's, it's interesting. JG is the first ever guest on Feld State Update actually. Before he was the uh, um, wow, this is so distracting watching myself in one screen. Um, JG's first ever guest, and Jack, you are the highest rated guest we've ever had so i'm not sure what's going on there but people wow. seem to love you wow it must be a lack of interesting people going around oh. or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, but thank you i appreciate that uh I, I I think probably the pentagon ufo program probably plays a role in that people probably want a concise succinct you know way to to look at all of the nev- seemingly never-ending clickbait and podcasts and everything yeah and you know there seems to be something about about the uh, ufo subject that i guess you have to be a kind of a true believer to be interested <laughs> or you know or if you're not a true believer there's not necessarily much space for you in the UFO community. Um, there isn't as much informed skepticism as you'd like. Um, tell you what, let's start by, uh, I'll read your bio and you can tell me if I got it wrong and uh, we can kind of go from there. All right. Jack Brewer is a freelance writer with a longtime interest in the UFO genre. He main- maintains the blog, the UFO trail where he posts credible info on incredible topics. Brewer is the author of The Grays Have Been Framed, Exploitation in the UFO Community, in which he explores how public perception of the UFO phenomenon has been distorted by the intelligence community and suspect researchers. Neither a debunker nor a believer, Brewer integrates objectivity and critical thinking into his writing while keeping an open mind. His latest book is called Wayward Sons, NICAP and the IC. And IC, of course, means intelligence community. Uh, maybe you could start out by kind of giving us a sense of how the UFO community and the intelligence community are intertwined, because I think a lot of people don't realize that that's the case. I think you're right about that. I I also agree with you that uh, people that tend to believe in the UFO narrative and the the usually sensational storylines i think you're right that that tends to be what attracts us and then a a smaller percentage of us actually become more skeptical 
of, of the circumstances and begin to notice some of the uh, poor research practices and uh, activities being called scientific investigation that uh, by definition simply are not. And really from the beginning, the intelligence community, particularly the US intelligence community has been enmeshed with the UFO topic and can actually even be found uh, in many instances to be promoting it and debunking it at the same time. And it, it gets really confusing to try to follow a, a, a line of how it happened because um, as you guys, and I think a lot of listeners to your show understand, uh, professional disinformation officers are really good at what they do. And we, we can do all the FOIA we want. We, we can do all the interviews we want. We can play gotcha with these guys. And when it comes right down to it, they're really good at what they do. And we just simply are not, we often are not going to be able to discern the purpose of, of CIA interest in a certain a, a certain UFO case or not. But um, yes, from the very outset, uh, the Foo Fighters and Roswell of the 1940s on, uh, there has been a strong uh, presence of the U.S. intelligence community in, in uh, the, the UFO subculture. And in fact, one, one trip I made to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, I went one year for the uh, Ozarks UFO conference up there. And while I was there, I decided to uh, go over and visit uh, what was billed as America's most haunted hotel. And that gave me an opportunity to really see a contrast between the UFO conference that was full of uh, retired intelligence officers and, and people that are uh, even the researchers were promoting conspiracies and uh, you either hate, hate the Uncle Sam or you're on his side. You know, these are the kind of things that go on in the UFO community where the contrast at the ghost tour at the Haunted Hotel was really defined, you know, in that um, they were having fun at the hotel and there weren't CIA officers and there weren't Air Force officers. And that, I, I thought that was really an interesting contrast there too. That is, which, which hotel was that again? Uh, the Crescent, I think okay. they call it the Crescent Hotel, Eureka Springs, America's most haunted hotel. <laughs> That's funny. I was in uh, Providence, Rhode Island doing a story about, um, of course, that's where H.P. Lovecraft lived his whole life, more or less. And I was doing a story about that and people that really believe that the stuff that H.P. Lovecraft wrote about was real. And when I was there, somebody had told me or I had seen online that the Biltmore Hotel was supposed to be the most haunted hotel in America. And um, so I stayed in it for two nights and I didn't see anything. It was just a dump. But but there wasn't any nothing ghostly about it. Uh, did you see any uh, evidence of 
of uh, paranormal activity? I did not. They had plenty of cool stories to share. And they, the, the tour of the hotel was really fun. Uh, and the, its history was interesting. But I opted to spend the night as well. And that was part of what, what gave the interesting uh, contrast between staying at the hotel in Eureka Springs where the UFO conference happened and then the Haunted Hotel. I slept much more soundly <laughs> at the Haunted Hotel than I did where I knew that the, the whole place was full of uh, um, intelligence officers and people tracking intelligence officers. Right. Yes. <laughs> when did you when did you kind of uh stumble upon well ufology or ufo scene but when did you kind of start looking at it as a, a den of spies essentially oh that would have been i would say uh, 2015 ish and in, in that time frame, um, 2010 to 2015. In the early 1990s, I was fascinated with the work of uh, Dr. John Mack, Bud Hopkins, that all the alleged alien abduction documentaries that were on TV. And I attended lectures that Mack presented and Hopkins and uh, various mutual UFO network events that, that uh, promoted these people. As I continued on over the next 15 years or so looking into it, I, uh, I was so interested that I wasn't willing to just read each paperback that, that came out. And it had become apparent to me by that point that they were kind of overhyped and they never actually delivered any conclusions. And there was just a lot of mystery mongering with these best-selling paperbacks. And so I began to contact people directly and it became increasingly clear that um, people like Hopkins could spin a really good tale in a paperback. But when you started looking at um, counter views, like, like uh, talking to the actual witnesses, the people that are named in the book, reading some of the critical review, the stories start to have a lot of holes in them. And so in 2010, I started the UFO Trail blog and I felt like I had some things to contribute along those lines. And then I began um, reading more closely the work of people like James Carrion, and it, it became increasingly clear how enmeshed the intelligence community was with the UFO community. And I, I should kind of give my disclaimer that I, I don't, I, I, I'm not saying that there's no phenomena that's uh, uh, worthy of deeper study or that everything can be explained by misidentifications or exotic classified aircraft or um, intentional deception. 
from from the intelligence community, but that certainly plays a large role and a and a largely overlooked aspect. Uh, when I first started really looking at the intelligence community, I thought it was a footnote to the UFO community, and I kind of came to look at it as the other way around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here thinking about how you're our most uh, downloaded guest. And I, I think a lot of that is, I think that the UFO community hear what I'm saying when I report on this stuff or hear what you're saying perhaps. And they automatically, their defenses get up. They think we're attacking them. Or we're making fun of them, ha! Huh? You know, you were you're being you're dupes of the CIA, ha ha ha! But like, really, the issue for me is that we can't get to the truth when the FBI and other places, you know, CIA, other parts of the intelligence community are in there messing around. Um, I mean, the reality of what might be visiting us or who might be visiting us is completely obscured, probably, you know, perhaps forever because of the, you know, the intelligence community and how they've been so integral to the UFO scene for so long? There are some, some circumstances that are indeed perhaps obscured forever. I've gotten a number of files um, pertaining to NICAP and the, the FBI. And one of the things that, that made director Metcalf and his his right hand man Richard Hall would do was I wouldn't say harass the FBI, but but they held their feet to the fire and maybe rightfully so in their defense, that they would find circumstances where FBI agents had indeed been interacting with UFO witnesses and, and seemingly conducting related investigations when uh, Director Hoover had repeatedly indicated to Kehoe and Hall that the Bureau had no interest in UFOs. And so Hall and Kehoe seemed to look at this as evidence of a cover-up where with a little more hindsight, I there's times I can almost feel like just listen to what the man said. He has no interest in UFOs, but he is investigating these people that are involved in these stories. There might be some clues there, you know, that, uh, and for example, came across an unrelated uh, bit of research I came across. Oh, hey, Jack, you, you broke up a little bit. Can you uh, start over from, for example? Sure, sure. 
And there may be related circumstances we can draw information from. For example, I did some unrelated research where I came across a circumstance where the FBI wanted to know about who a certain officer had been hanging around with during a time frame, you know, like say four o'clock last Friday afternoon. And they had some photos of him with these people, but they didn't know who these people were. So rather than alert him to their overall investigation, the idea was floated to Hoover that they would approach the officer under the guise of having a car accident with a government vehicle the location they knew he was at during this time frame and that would give them reason to you know ostensibly question him about what he was doing and who he was with and i i just see a lot of that potentially playing out in the fbi's interest in um UFO photos, for instance, are the people that are trafficking in these photos. And it, it, it really, if you don't have the UFO glasses on and you look at it from a counterintelligence perspective, it, it almost becomes glaringly evident that it's the job of the intelligence services to find out why people are at least pretending to be overly interested in exotic aircraft. And I, I mean, Kehoe, for God's sake, was encouraging intelligence officers to leak information under the guise of this is about the UFO mystery. So I, I can just very much see how the FBI might be involved in potential espionage investigations of these people and their contacts while still having relatively little interest in the UFO mystery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, maybe to give people a little insight, when we spoke about your, your most recent book, Wayward Sons, we were talking about NICAP, which was kind of the first of these public non-governmental organizations that investigated, but really promoted UFOs and definitely took people's interest in UFOs and funneled it in a certain direction. And you found some compelling evidence that, or something at least compelling indications that the CIA was behind NICAP. Maybe you can kind of explain what that was. Yes, I, I did. It, it was long known yet underreported that some of the original NICAP organizers had CIA connections and, and were implicated with the CIA. One of these people, for instance, was a man named Nicholas de Roquefort, and he was so involved in the intelligence community that he is the subject of, of lawsuits during the 1970s. The, the CIA was sued by journalists 
for his records and a judge upheld that that could be damaging to national security and sources and means that that the CIA needed to um, retain the the right to to say we've got reasons to neither confirm or deny. But my point being, um, these people are a number of these people are of interest on scale to historians about the intelligence community that ha have little to no interest in UFOs. Mm -hmm. And UFOs even becomes a side plot of the career of uh, men like DeRochefort and uh, some of the people that are on the periphery of, of NICAP being formed. And I, I did uh, keep plugging away at, at FOIA requests and uh, newspaper archives and letter archives at colleges. And I uh, established that, that some of these people that were in the original NICAP circles that worked on the planning stages, the original board of directors, uh, were, were very much involved with the CIA and with their uh, associate organizations. For instance, uh, the the there there was a founder of a PR organization that that did all the paperwork for NICAP that was heavily involved with with a governmental office that. I established through the FOIA acted as an arm of the CIA. So it, like many of the stories that go on through the, the community, one would have to, to entertain the idea that these men, and in some cases women, that had connections to the intelligence services and professional capacities were just interested enough in flying saucers to moonlight with, with a UFO organization and to help it get established and, and uh, get, get it funded as a nonprofit corporation. And given all of the circumstances of the era, I find that really difficult to entertain the extent that the CIA relied on cutouts and nonprofit corporations to, to act as money conduits during the 1950s and 1960s by their own admissions even. I just find it really difficult to think that, that these people would be acting in recreational capacities. I found further evidence of that as well in some FBI material in which a clerk, not even a high-level associate, a clerk at the FBI New Orleans field office wanted to join NICAP. So as he felt he should, he, he bounced it off his supervisor and it went all the way to headquarters. And uh, Hoover sent word back down the line that, that he did not want to endorse or oppose NICAP in any way which was his way of saying, no, we're not, we're not having, you know, you want to join NICAP, well, then quit the Bureau. 
And so that also makes me think it, it, it would be really peculiar for high-level CIA officials and in some instances um, undercover assets that, that the CIA will not even release their records and, and under lawsuits would have the go-ahead to just go join a political hotbed of uh, NICAP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I is all to say, I very much think it indicates that, that rather than NICAP being something that is to detract from the intelligence services, it seems more uh, that at least initially it, it was thought to be an asset of intelligence agencies. Yeah, and it, I think it goes to, uh, I don't know, it says something about the UFO community where a lot of the blowback I'm getting from my coverage is, you know, it's really negative. It's, it's you know, fast forward to the modern day, these figures like Lou Elizondo, you know, these... and. And these people that have been, you know, military contractors and stuff for years, people are upset when you say there's probably an agenda to what they're doing, but they'll be critical of every other CIA crime real imagined. Um, I think it speaks to, you know, you called it the UFO glasses, the people's desire to see what they want to see, I guess. Um, JG, you... You compared Jack to uh, Jim Mosley um, of Saucer Smear. Um, Maybe a little bit in the, yeah. the, I think both are sort of exploring the subculture of UFOs. And I also think Jim Mosley of Saucer Smear was uh, kind of skeptical in a lot of ways of a lot of claims being made. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, Jack. Um, one thing I like about your work, I get that we're talking about the whole spy sort of element and, and the intelligence community element. But the other element of the UFO subculture that I think you really get at is the fact that there's all these sort of, um, I would say, carny hucksters in the, in the UFO world. And, uh, you know, it was funny what you said um, uh, flatly about, you know, oh, there, there's such negative feedback because we're saying they're dupes of the CIA and I mean, to be honest with you, it was only a few short years ago uh, that the UFO community was in an uproar over these supposed photos that showed the Roswell alien. They called them the Roswell slides. Turned out that was a mummified child uh, that was taken. It was a picture taken in, I think, a San Francisco museum. And you could even see it said San Francisco Museum in the photo. <laughs> and there were people that got pulled in by that. And uh, I don't know that there was, I mean, maybe you would know, Jack, I know you covered it on your blog, but it, it felt like there was no accountability for that. There were people that tried to make money off of it, um, people that should have known better, that got involved with it. Uh, you know, so to me, it's like, if you feel like you're being made fun of as a community, uh, maybe don't get pulled into like horribly ridiculous hoaxes like the Roswell Slides hoax. Um, and, and also have accountability for when people push BS uh, within whatever your, your subculture is. If you want to be taken seriously as a real, you know, scientific community, then you have to sort of abide by those standards. And I think uh, there really is not a lot of accountability with regards to the sort of hucksters within that community. 
Oh, I agree completely. Uh, I, I feel like you've been reading my mail with, with <laughs> what you just said. Yeah. Um, the Roswell slides was horrendous. And it, it went on for years uh, that those defending it and those on the inside of it were irate that, that there were those of us that wouldn't just accept their claims at face value when they wanted to just be taken at their word of the research that was going to come out that was promised, which, yes, just shows a complete lack of understanding of some 70 years of history of that happens every time. Like everybody uses the Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football analogy <laughs> every time that that happens. And some some guys that called themselves the Roswell Slides Research Group did some really good work on that and, and put to rest once and for all that that uh, it was, in fact, a, a Native American mummified child that, that they had been uh, promoting as an alien. It, it, it is a, a great example of the most obvious explanation, like profoundly obvious that this could be some kind of mummified humanoid was overlooked in, in lieu of all of these convoluted details of whose attic it came, the slide came from and what the history of this person is. And it, it was like just part and parcel of how a story will get cooked up of all of these indirect implied insinuations while overlooking how a fact is actually established and, and how professional research practices work. How do you, I'm so curious about this story kind of, I don't, I haven't heard about that at all, but it seems like it could be a really interesting case study in misinformation or disinformation or whatever. Um, do you have any background? Do you know where the slides came from? Who started promoting them? Like, do you know the story? Yes, there was a man named Adam Dew. Where you, where listeners would want to find um, the the best summaries and work on this would be Roswell Slides Research Group, and just uh, use your favorite search engine to find their website. A man named Adam Dew claim to know people that, and I believe they were relatives of his, had been cleaning up a home after the, the people died in the home or something mm -hmm. to that effect. And she located, uh, found these slides that when she was looking through looked really odd and gave them to her husband or something like that. Anyway, they end up with, hey, Adam Do, have you seen these? And he gets in touch with some Roswell researchers who were famous in the community. And the story starts then that the house was that was being cleaned up 
was a uh, person in the intelligence community during that the era of Roswell, and they kind of built from there and, and ran with the narrative, and uh, they, they tried to cook something up that would suggest um, this intelligence officer or people he knew had access to the crash site and took these photos that he kept hidden all his life, but they were so meaningful, he, he would not um, let go of them and kept them at risk of it being classified information and all that. And uh, as, as you're surmising, it was much, it, it was much more likely a trip to a Southwestern museum that resulted in these slides that they probably showed friends and families for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at it one. I'm looking at one of them now. It's pretty creepy, but it's not like, I don't know. You see, you see like a woman reflected in like a, a woman reflected in the, the glass of the display case. You can see her like little dress and her, it's like, you know, it looks like a church lady broke into Area 51 or something. You'd have to believe. <laughs> it's pretty great. One of the most damning aspects of the, the story was that the researchers that had access to these slides would not release the best uh, uh best versions mm -hmm. and everyone naturally questioned why would this alien be in a box with a with a placard in front of it <laughs> yeah. now like this completely looks like i said the most profoundly obvious explanations uh looks like something in a museum you know mm -hmm. and so they countered that um, it was probably, you know, a government facility and sorting out the evidence and they had tagged different things. And it, it was it was completely an exercise in uh, confirmation bias and, and subjectivity uh, combined with. Uh, it, it became apparent that the best defense these researchers had was incompetence mm -hmm. because it, it was really that they would not release the best versions of the photos until their final big reveal that took years to get around to mm -hmm. and within hours of the release of those photos independent researchers were able to uh, clear up the placard to show that it that it uh, talked about it being a, a Native American child. And they were able to identify with the museum the exact display it was, mm -hmm. even. And so that, you know, with a lot of these stories, the conspiracies come up because frankly, it's often difficult to believe they are as incompetent as they mm -hmm. would have us believe they are. Well, and then what do you know about the guys who publicized the photos? Were they established in the UFO community? Were they making a buck off of them? Like, can you kind of 
maybe guess at their motivations a little bit? I, th- I well, think Adam Dew, not, not to interrupt you, I think Adam Dew was involved in video production, but... Yeah, and it was the um, very well-known Roswell researchers that were involved in this that, as you suggested when we started uh, uh, down this road, uh, pretty much, you know, the UFO crowd has short memories and just goes, well, that one didn't work out. Invite him to the next conference and let's see what else he's found. Mm -hmm. And... uh, and I, you, you could, you know, search their names real quick. I, I don't have it off the top of my head uh-huh. because I don't follow yeah. Roswell's story that closely, but it, it's the usual suspects. Right, right. So I guess, you know, I guess that's what I wonder about this group is it's like, is it really, well, I, I guess you're, you know, you're looking to, the intelligence community would indicate that it doesn't seem to be as grassroots as we're supposed to believe. Um, But I don't know. A lot of questions about about these people. That's why I find it fascinating, more fascinating than the UFO question. And I do, I am interested in the UFO question and I have friends, people I respect very much. So who, you know, are UFO investigators and they're, you know, they, you know, one, one guy I'm thinking about in particular, he's very specific. He's like, I stay away from, you know, government, this intelligence community that I'm really interested in meeting a person who had a sighting and getting down to the bottom of it. Can we explain it or not? And I really respect that. Um, but it's such a huge topic. You could probably write about it for the rest of your life and never run out of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I can I can understand that perspective that that you said your friend has. I just happen to be more more your point of view at this point in my journey. I was more your friend's point of view in the 1990s <laughs> and you kind of have to be one of those people that likes a weekly series, you know, that, that doesn't expect closure in order to keep reading a researcher's ongoing books, following their videos, seeing their lectures, that it never goes anywhere, but, oh, this is a great case. We really got it this time. And they ride that case a few years, and and it just kind of wanders off into oblivion, and then they bring out another case. And I'm sure some of them are sincere. I'm sure some of them aren't, and I'm sure some of them land in the middle that you got to make a living while, while you're searching for answers. Just me, I, I got point that I wanted something I could sink my teeth into. Yeah. So I want names of who said this, who do they work for, what does the FBI have on them, uh, what are their affiliations with the CIA, and things that in a research capacity I can lay down in a coherent line and and present systematically of what happened from one event to the next. And we still may not always know their intentions, 
but we can clarify what people were doing surrounding some uh, event that seemed to often just grow out whole cloth. And yeah, like, like it, it's fascinating that like if we just try to succinctly explain what happened with, with this latest round, uh, it started with the uh, New York Times article in December 2017, them and Politico that that uh, really shot the the Pentagon UFO program, ATIP, OSAP, in, into the spotlight. A succinct version would be the late Senator Reed wanted to get funding for Robert Bigelow and whatever he was doing at Skinwalker Ranch. Mm -hmm. He secured that funding. Then, for whatever reasons, the, the project was misrepresented to the Defense Intelligence Agency and the the reports we we've had trouble getting those uh we have a number of questions about it but the circumstances were misrepresented to the dia that eventually added to the funding was discontinued about 2012. since that time a, a public relations campaign was successfully undertaken by a number of people surrounding Robert Bigelow with paperback books, with, with press releases, most notably Christopher Mellon and Luis Elizondo and Tom DeLong with To the Stars in 2017 uh, up until about 2020. It's really hard to say what the point of all that was. It, it's it's to be seen. What we can see, though, is that even after a congressional hearing took place on the topic of UFOs, we see very little to no evidence of this scientific work that was reportedly being conducted. Uh, under Robert Bigelow and, and the DIA. We have lots of talk, we have lots of out-of-school stories, but we still don't have systematic documentation of here's what we did, here was our methodology, and here's what we found. So I know you just said we don't know what they were doing, but like, but what's going on with Robert Bigelow, but I mean, help me understand that because, I mean, certainly something's happening at Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> like, do we know, like, does Robert Bigelow have, has he hired, he's hired scientists, they're conducting experiments, like, like, is it really as bad as you just kind of made it appear as far as it's just like a money pit, like, this rich guy and now at some point government taxpayer dollars are going into this pseudoscience, this kind of like, you know, the, uh, the equivalent of, you know, analyzing spoon benders and, you know, ectoplasm or, or do you think that there's 
something more serious going on there, you know, intelligence or contracting, defense related? That was a really awful question. I hope you can follow it. Oh, I understand completely. I, I understand completely what you're saying. Uh, I think Bender analogy is very good. There, there is certainly a faction of people uh, that are informed on the chain of events, that are informed on the FOIA documents that we've obtained, that feel like there is a group around Robert Bigelow and maybe even steering him at times that believe in, in uh, the word that comes to mind is woo. I don't want to offend people. Um, maybe supernatural, um, extreme things they can't prove, that, that believe that with all their heart, that feel it's justified to misrepresent what this research is to the DIA in order to get funding for it because it otherwise will not get funded. And, and uh, Leslie Campbell admittedly uh, watered down her article and writing about it from 2017 onward in order to try to condition public to accept it better than all of the consciousness-related aspects that that the uh, TTSA and, and Robert Bigelow groups seem to actually have been more subscribed to. Mm -hmm. I think there also may be some intelligence matters like you alluded to, um, I, I got a really interesting response once from an uh, FOIA to the, the National Security Agency on uh, uh, Bigelow's organization, BASS, in that it, it glomarred and uh, stated that um, it seemed as if I were seeking um, documents and contracts with, with a contractor and that it's their policy not to, not, not to uh, release those, um, you know, security matters. So um, if they existed, they would not be subject to the FOIA, mm -hmm. which I thought was just somewhat of an interesting yes, that's in indeed what I suspect that the NSA has with, with big corporations. So, you know, some people think there may have been some non-lethal weapons testing. Some people think there may have been some goings-ons with Bigelow corporations in, in a similar way that uh, back in the day, uh, billionaire Howard Hughes acted as cover for the CIA at times uh, mm -hmm. to... Uh, act like he was doing uh, eccentric things. And, uh, you know, there's people, too, that think it, it's a, a good uh, deception, if nothing else, that the way foreign analysts would read this is that they would not think that it's about um, poltergeists and, you know, vortexes to hell and all that. I, I think foreign analysts would would think that 
uh, the government must have been up to something that it it felt important. And um, there are researchers that feel like that the intelligence services wanted to promote that idea, um, you know, of weapons research and development, whether it was true or not. So again, as I think you guys and your listeners would, would know, there's not really a pat answer to that. It just kind of sits over here on the shelf. And when we need it for one of these things, the CIA or the NSA says, we'll pull it out and it'll be there waiting for us. When we want to imply we uh, made a major breakthrough at Skinwalker Ranch or something to that effect. Right, right. Well, you know, and that's a really interesting. It's, I think what separates a lot of, you know, you kind of have two kinds of people, you know, us, I think everybody on this call is willing to live with the ambiguity. And then you have people who need to find an answer and are not satisfied if even if it's, you know, UFOs, even if that baby is, you know, a U little UFO baby or whatever, it, it, you know, it's like, um, they get mad when we say, you know, the evidence is not in yet. We can't make a call. You know, we can't definitely ratify, you know, your pet theory. Um, I'm really curious, JG, do you get, um, when I handle topics like this, I get all kinds of angry email. Do you get, how, how do your, your other podcasts, Par Parallax View, how do your listeners handle? I don't know. I, I, when I've had Jack on my show, you know, I don't really get negative feedback. I mean, I try to be understanding of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I try to frame things in a way where I'm not, you know, looking down on people for believing in something because I, I get why people want to believe uh, that they have the UFO answer. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of it is sort of like a Fox Mulder type thing, right? Like I want to believe. Um, I even think that's true of the sort of non-UFO sort of SETI contingent, you know, mm -hmm. when, when I've talked to people like that. Like, I think there's a lot of people that just want to believe we're not alone uh, in the universe. And odds, Vegas odds are we're probably not alone. Uh, but it, it's just odd. I think people are really driven by their own belief systems and, and desires than they are um, evidence when it comes to topics like this. Yeah. So, um we're kind of rounding out the hour here. Jack, what are you working on right now or what topics are, are particularly interesting to you right now? I had been upping my FOIA game. I, I felt like I already had a pretty good FOIA game and I feel like it's improved lately. I uh, ha have found some good contacts that have been able to uh, share information with me about the process, about techniques. And fortunately, uh, these folks aren't interested in how fringe the, the work might be. They're just interested in the process. And I appreciate that. They uh, helped me learn more about uh, appealing uh, and, and just what the steps of the process would be from uh, when you file, then there's a number of things that you're going to get in return for that. And then different things you can do for no matter what those responses are and how you can keep following these. And 
that has allowed me to help some contacts I have with some of their research, and, and that's quite rewarding, as well as I learn more and more about the process. So that's going to help me with my own research as well. And I still, as you can imagine, I have a lot of material still out on the line uh, related to my NICAP research that um, I, I'm awaiting final responses from the National Archives on some material related to some of those early spooks that were involved. And uh, one of these days, I, I want to even maybe take a trip to some archives where I know some letters are, are housed and uh, that were exchanged between some of these early CIA officers and other CIA officers during the time frame that they were associated with NICAP. And this is the kind of thing that uh, it can almost get under my skin a little bit that uh, there is a mentality that can go with the UFO belief that they're not interested in reading things that don't have UFO stamped across the top of them mm -hmm. or UAP or whatever. And it, it's, it kind of baffles me how we can be this many years into people following every minutiae, every minute detail of uh, Robert Bigelow this, Robert Bigelow that, or um, this this former director of Central Intelligence, Roscoe Hill and Coder quote, and that quote, and all of these things they follow, yet they, uh, they selectively omit uh, negative things or things that cause some of these people's actions in, into uh, question. And there is plenty of it. And, and I have, uh, I, I've already posted, you know, in the book and on my blog quite a bit of it, like um, letters I located in an archive that were exchanged between uh, a Dr. Menzel and former DCI Hillencoder in which they were kind of babies and arguing about the uh, feasibility of NICAP. And th that obviously throws a complete wrench in, in the idea that the two of them were conspiring to cover up the existence of UFOs, as some researchers have put forward. And I have every reason to believe these researchers were aware of this archive mm -hmm. and omitted it from, from mention. So that's the kind of thing that interests me. At this point. I, I'm expecting to, to be able to find uh, that case, that story about a UFO. I, I, I've joked with other folks, too, that uh, they don't seem to be able to do anything when when they've got the best equipment money can buy. I'm just armed with a laptop and what is you know what am I gonna do if I go to investigate a site?
you know. So I, I'm more into the archives and the FOIA these days. So that's what I'm working on. And I really appreciate you having me on to, to chat about it. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. There, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about, Jack, before we go. Um, since I had mentioned the whole sort of, I, I think people wanting to believe a lot of times, I've always found it interesting um, with sort of UFO advocates, which now we have that, I guess, in the form of uh, the whole idea of, oh, disclosure. We're, we're a disclosure movement. It's always interested me that the sort of people that are saying uh, we need disclosure, 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 it's almost as if, I mean, they're literally assuming that there's anything to disclose. And I've always found that very interesting when it comes to the UFO culture, uh, because really, I think it is the vast majority of the, the sort of subculture is basically saying we know that these things are extraterrestrial aircraft. And it's been covered up for years, and now the government needs to release it. It's, it's basically starting with a, an assumption in a lot of ways um, and working backwards from that. Could you comment on that? Absolutely, it, it is. The same with the cover-up in, in many instances. There, there are select researchers that, that do just dig down through the cover-up with, without uh, going too much into conclusions but like in that circumstance, I've yet to come across a single instance of what does look like shady, shady activities on behalf of an intelligence agency that won't release a document or, or won't give access to an archive, in which it doesn't seem to me like that circumstance would also fit if we're just not going to show you sources and means or how we uh, keep certain things hidden that have nothing to do with extraterrestrial visitation. And you're absolutely right that many people feel the ends justify the means. Uh, what Donald Kehoe started with, with telling officers to leak information that subjectively to them seemed to be about alien aircraft has just continued all this time. It, it went on through the 70s, 80s. Uh, it, it's certainly been going on in the past few years. And you're absolutely right that, that there's a, a, a certain amount of them that no matter how many times we explain to them that the very concept of disclosure is flawed. Of, of UFO disclosure, that the concept that a president or a senator or whoever could announce this and say, there you go, you win, there's aliens all over the place. Well, now we need the data. Now, you know, show your work. We need more than a statement. It absolutely starts with, with the premise that it's being hidden and we demand that, that you uh, show it. And you know, it, it's classic logical fallacy of uh, it, if there's nothing there, how would I prove it? How, how would I prove to you that I don't have anything? And actually, the, the knowledge I've gained about the FOIA process has helped me with that, that I, I can even entertain the idea 
that there's not some there's not going to be some release of some document somewhere that tells how um, a president did a uh, treaty with the extraterrestrials if such a thing existed. I, I can understand how um, hypothetically that there you can't ask the question in a right way to get at something like that. But I've also done enough work to see that you could find framework around it. You, you could find circumstances that led to it. I, I mean, the, they can't keep even relatively mundane things secret because of whistleblowers and, and people that, that come out with the info. And one of the things that's always bothered me about the UFO whistleblowers is they're, they're just kind of pseudo whistleblowers in that they don't really bring anything with them but stories where uh, Edward Snowden had a cache of documents. Like, like that's a different whistleblower. And whatever his deal is, you don't just come with stories and not be able to even prove where you worked. You know, you, you, you come with the goods and you get an attorney that specializes in national security whistleblowers. You don't go to a MUFON convention, you know? Right. And so again, we're kind of back to the best defense is incompetence, if not, you know, outright dishonesty. Yeah, very, uh, something to keep in mind, for sure. Um, thanks for uh, sharing your insight with us, Jack. How can people follow you, uh, keep up to date with your work? I am on Twitter, at the UFO Trail. My blog is a Google blog spot, the UFO Trail. And uh my books are on Amazon, and I, I'd like to hear from folks, even if it's uh, even if they don't agree with me. If we can keep it civil, I'm always open to it. And I'm definitely going to check out uh, "The Grays Have Been Framed" next. I, I I don't think I was aware of that book, and I was just reading about that today, and it looks awesome. So I'll have to check that out. Um, we we need to do a whole episode on the uh, David Jacobs fiasco. <laughs> That's yeah, inside baseball, the, but <laughs> the Grays, yes, the Grays have been framed. The the top the title came from kind of a joke uh, or or a saying that that some contacts and I had that we would try and try and try to frame it in ways that people with those UFO glasses could see if you mm. came at it from a different angle. And finally, like the easiest way to say it was just, they've been framed. They didn't do what people say they've done. <laughs> and that book goes into quite a bit of detail of the uh, ethical failures, to put it mildly, of the pro-hypnosis community and mm. how they manufactured stories of alien abduction at, at the virtual complete disregard for how it affected the hypnosis subjects people that believed all of it. 